good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, my name is Tony. I have the privilege of being on staff here at Wellspring. Now, I noticed there's a few people standing, and I just want to say, if you love standing, that's awesome. Rock it for all you're worth. If you would like to sit, there's plenty of seats we could put over here, so totally up to you. I get it. I stand at work sometimes. Sometimes I'll stand on worship. I'm standing right now. So feel free to stand with me if you'd like by the wall. If, on the other hand, you'd like to sit, there's seating over here. With that said, if you are a kid and want to hang out with some other kids, where are we go? There's Miss Trish over there and Alicia. There we go. So if you're with kid, you're a kid and you don't want to stand by the wall, but you want to hang out with other kids, feel free to go. It's going to be fun. Now, if you're new, visiting, checking us out, we're so glad to have you. Also want to say, if this is your first time here, we also have some seating up top in our balcony section. It's no RSVP required. It's ex exclusive, very safe seating. So if you like it up there, feel free to rock it. With that said, all right. For the last few months, we've been going through the Old Testament. We've just finished Genesis. And today, we're going to take a little break from that journey, and we're going to focus on today, which is Palm Sunday. Who here grew up celebrating or talking about Palm Sunday? Oh, a lot of you. I know some people haven't. It's sort of like, Palm what? So we're going to get in today about what is going on on Palm Sunday and maybe what that means for us. But before we go there, I want to start with a story. Now, some of you know, right, I, I didn't read the Bible a lot growing up as a kid. Uh, and more than that, I, actually, I, I'm pretty confident that the first, like, person my own age that really was devoted to practicing the way of Jesus, the first person I met that was really, like, out there with their faith was when I was 19 on a football recruiting trip for college. So, to make a long story short, I imported a lot of different assumptions about what it meant to follow Jesus when I started to try and follow him. I remember, and this is just an absolutely silly but true story, um, I remember I was in a dorm room my freshman year. It was Stark Hall. It was like seven stories high. And I remember I had just started studying the Bible. I was a few weeks in. And I had this thought. Have you ever seen the movie The Matrix? Yeah? I just dated myself. All the like Gen Z people are like, the what? <laughs> um, so The Matrix, in one of those movies, I can't remember which, it was so long ago. Uh, you know, there's this scene where Neo comes out of this like elevator and there's this long line of people wanting to pay him homage and give him gifts. And I had this vision a few weeks into studying the Bible that if I just rocked, this Bible study thing for a bit, I would become this like Yoda-like Bible wisdom master. And literally, I had this vision of like people lining up at Stark Tower, waiting to, to just me to just drop gems. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, oh, that's not what Jesus and following Jesus is about, you are right. But the thing is, we all import assumptions into our practice of following Jesus. That's not coincidental that growing up on the West Coast, 21st century, in the United States, that I imported some specific assumptions. In particular, right, I imported the assumption that the spiritual life was entirely about me. Right, at its core, I imported the assumption that the spiritual life was fundamentally 
individualistic. But my assumptions were also really consumeristic, weren't they? Right? For me, there was really little difference between practicing the way of Jesus, becoming a Jesus expert, and becoming a yoga expert or a baseball consultant. Right? In the end, it was fundamental, fundamentally about me consuming a religious good and as a result, benefiting me. Right? The primary fruit I hoped for is that people would think I was amazing. See, the thing is, it wasn't accidental that my approach involved individualism and consumerism, right? For many of us, that's the air we breathe. And the truth is, right, every human being imports assumptions about what it looks like to be with and follow God. None of us practice a spiritual life in a vacuum. That's as true today as it was that first Palm Sunday nearly 2,000 years ago. Jesus was entering Jerusalem, and the crowds, they were super excited. They were assuming, Jesus is going to come in, he's going to overthrow these Roman overlords that are oppressing us. He's going to become king. And they were right. But while their Palm Sunday celebration was filled with great insight, it was also really shaped by profound misunderstanding. Just like me, they superimposed assumptions about what it was like to follow Jesus. And they ended up missing what he and his kingdom were really about. This is how Luke tells the story. I just invite you, do whatever you need to do in this moment to be able to hear this with all of your being. So, right, up to this point, sort of like, you know, sang a couple songs, but it's easy to get stuck on what you're going to do next. So take a second, settle yourself, whether you're in the building or online, take a second to settle yourself and listen to God's word written by a man named Luke. When he, Jesus, drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it. And bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the ground. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Let's start with a little bit of context. 
Luke tells us that they're beginning this trek to Jerusalem. And in verse 29, he gives us some mile markers, right, on the road. You have Bethpage and Bethany and the Mount of Olives. It's like telling someone, yo, I'm going to San Francisco this weekend. First, I'm going to hit San Jose, and then I'm going to hit Palo Alto, and then I'm going to hit Burlingame. Like, everyone gets those details. Now, like, you imagine for a second what this trip would have felt like. Jesus is coming from Jericho. Jericho's a desert, right, just outside of the Dead Sea. This is, it's brown, even though it's springtime. But as he slowly walks up this hill, the terrain starts to change. Passover takes place in the spring. So as he gets up to the top of the hill, it starts to get green. And as he gets to the top of the hill, he's going to look down and Jerusalem is going to be down there. And there's going to be thousands upon thousands of pilgrims that have traveled from all over the ancient world to convene and converge on Jerusalem for Passover. And when he arrives, he sends two of his disciples to get this donkey. But this isn't just any donkey. This donkey speaks with the voice of Eddie Murphy and maybe has been featured recently in Shrek. No, just kidding. <laughs> yes, boom, I had that one planned. Just what I hoped. Right, this isn't any donkey, this is a colt, right, which has never been ridden. Now, this might seem sort of incidental and random to us, but Luke is actually being very specific and very intentional. You see, the people of Israel have been waiting. They've been hoping for a king. They were currently, right, they're ruled by Rome, and they're waiting for God to come and rescue them. And they've, they've been saturating in these scriptures that say, there's one who's going to come. And there's this prophet named Zechariah. And Zechariah 9.9 reads this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Right, this is written in the scriptures. Jesus knows it. The crowd knows it. So Jesus is like, get the donkey and let's do this. And in verse 36, the, the crowds, they see him. And they take their cloaks off their back and they throw it on the ground. And they start saying with a loud voice, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now for us, it's a little weird that the crowds are like throwing their coats, right? Their $200 Patagonia jackets just to get trudged under the foot of a donkey, right? In us, like we live in PG or on the peninsula or wherever you live and you're just like, I would not give up my coat for anything. It is freezing. <laughs> right? But for them, this contextually makes sense. You see, even in the scriptures, this idea of throwing your cloak before a king has precedent. In 2 Kings 9.13, this guy named Jehu is going to be made king, and he's going up to his enthronement. And the crowds, what do they do? They take off their jackets, throw them on the ground to welcome the king in. And that is exactly what the crowd is doing today, right? Taking their $200 Patagonia jacket just to be trampled underfoot of a donkey. 
in their culture, right? They've been nurtured to expect that the Messiah, God's anointed, is going to come. And he's going to overthrow oppressors, and he's going to establish a new and greater kingdom, right, with God at the head. Right? It's Passover week. And they've been marinating all week in this story of the book of Exodus, which we're going to get to in the next few weeks, where Pharaoh is ruling over the people of Israel. Right? And what does God do? He sends someone to overthrow them. The Hebrew people are rescued. They've been sitting in this story all week. They are so ready for the king to come. And here's Jesus. And they believe he is the one to do it. And they're celebrating. But the truth is, they have great insight. Jesus is king. But they also have profound misunderstandings about what his kingdom is really about and what's going to happen next. It's crazy, right? In the midst of all this celebration, verse 39, not everyone's happy. Right? The Pharisees, they're like, they say to Jesus, dude, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop. This is inappropriate. (laughs) And Jesus says to them, this kind of witty, intriguing response, right? Even the stones would cry out. Now, on one level, I think this is a witty jab. He's basically, essentially, I think, saying to the Pharisees, your heart is harder than a stone. Even the hard stone would cry out in worship, and you're standing there judging me and my disciples? And I think on an even deeper level, he's saying, the purpose of all creation is to worship me. The crowd likely doesn't get all these nuances. But their impulse is correct, right? Blessed be the king. Now, that's the basic outline of the Palm Sunday, right? If you didn't grow up with it, that's the basic basic timeline, the basic plot. The question before us, though, 2,000 years later, is how does this then translate into our lives? How does this translate into our discipleship? Because the thing is, If you keep reading the story, you know that within a few days, one of Jesus' apprentices, one of these very people that's standing there throwing their cloak and shouting, within a very few days, this guy named Judas, who Jesus has lived with, he's traveled with for three years, will betray him for a handful of money. And Peter, one of his closest friends, will deny even knowing him in Jesus' moment of need. And the crowd, who's joyous and celebrating, within a few days, will shout, crucify him, when given the opportunity to set him free or a known murderer named Barabbas. Right, taken on its own, Palm Sunday is this beautiful high point in a way. Right, Jesus is celebrating as the coming king, hallelujah. But in red, in light of Good Friday, the, Jesus, the day Jesus is tortured and executed, it feels a lot less celebratory, doesn't it? On Palm Sunday, while there is great insight, there is also profound misunderstanding. 
right? The crowd, they get the Zechariah reference, right? The donkey, yes, we see it, right? They get that Jesus is going to be king and they start throwing their cloaks on the ground, but they totally miss the way of the cross. And I guess as I read this story each year, I just wonder, what am I missing? What are we missing? Who do we think Jesus is? Now, we can, we can sing the right songs. We can quote the right Bible verses. But when life gets hard, right, when choices need to be made, will we go from blessed be the king to I don't know the man as Peter did that first Holy Week. If I'm honest, there have been a few times this last year, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, it was like, wait, what? Like, we're, we're supposed to now, we can't meet in person, we have to go online? Like, I'm filming in my basement. We're trying to figure out how to do community via Zoom. And there was a few moments where I was sitting by myself and I felt like saying to God, God, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't want this. And then as I'm saying this and thinking this in my head, I hear the Holy Spirit whisper to me, Tony, what did you sign up for then? as both a pastor and an apprentice of Jesus. Did I just sign up to follow Jesus when everything was fun? When I got to just do it the way I wanted to do it? The truth is, none of us did. Jesus, when he calls disciples, he says, follow me. And then he says immediately after it, pick up your cross. But if I'm honest, sometimes I forget that last part. And as I look back on this last year, it really grieves me that I can still see remnants of that same individualism and consumerism that dominated my early discipleship. As I enter Palm Sunday, I, I feel a lot of tension. Right? Is it a day to celebrate? Or is it a day to mourn? Or sort of both? Because what's really fascinating is Luke tells us the crowd is celebrating, the Pharisees are angry, and then it says that Jesus weeps. Verses 41 and 42. And when he drew near and saw the city, Jesus sees the city. He wept over it. I imagine him probably falling to his knees and just weeping over the city, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. They have great insight, but they have profound misunderstanding. 
As the crowd celebrates, Jesus weeps. While the crowds expect a king to come to overthrow Rome, Jesus slowly on the back of a donkey approaches his death. The crowds expect to bask in the glory of the triumph over Rome and ride the wake of Jesus' triumph like, yes! But Jesus knows. He moves towards Pilate. He moves towards Roman guards that will whip and torture and execute him. He knows that while the crowds are full of insight, they are shaped by profound misunderstanding of what does it mean to follow him. And I guess as we enter this week, as we today remember Palm Sunday, I think it invites us to look in the mirror a bit. I think it invites us to question, right, what assumptions do we carry into the room today that shape our discipleship? What misunderstandings are we carrying into the room that put us out of alignment with the way of Jesus? But on Palm Sunday, that first one, the crowds were shaped by a culture that formed them into a people that, Jesus, that assumed right, that Jesus would overflow Rome and they get to ride you know, the gravy train to victory. That isn't our culture, so that's not our assumption. As I sort of take, took some time this week just to reflect on our cultural moment and per, my personal experience, what I'm thoughtful about is how the individualism and consumerism of our culture is actually shaping our approach to Jesus and what it means to follow him. I think often we approach, as the American church, we, we approach following Jesus as this buffet. And what do you do at a buffet? You go in and you grab whatever you want. You get to pick what you like. If you don't like it, just don't do it. Ignore it. Toss it to the side. And the truth is, I think that that approach to discipleship runs contrary to the costly discipleship of Jesus that exemplifies his path, his willingness to the cross. Looking back over this last year, I, one of the things I'm starting to see about this year, about 2020, about life and discipleship in the midst of a pandemic, is that while it is many things, right, it's difficult. It was frustrating. It was disappointing. It was lonely. It was any number of emotions and descriptions we can come up with. But I also want to say it was also formative. I actually think that life in the pandemic reinforced a lot of the individualism and consumerism that was already in our culture. Right? This last year became so much about how does each person, individual, family want to participate in church? And I, full disclosure, I'm the one who helped, you know, architect and sculpt and put all those options out for us to choose from, right? Inside or outside, online or in person. 
How do you want to participate? And I get it. I helped create those options. I am not anti-option in the least. I think we need them. But what does concern me is this. How these options are framed. I can tell you throughout the last 12 months, almost always when people talk about options, they say something like this. You know, I, I like it better in person. I think I'll do that. Or, you know, I like watching online. It's nice. I don't have to drive anywhere. I can wear my pajamas, right? I think I'll do that. Now, to be very clear, I think it is totally fine to watch online or be in person. I think it is totally fine to be inside or outside. But that frame is important. It's all about what do we want? What do we like? What do we prefer? To be clear, God cares about what we want. He cares about our desires. Absolutely. But if our discipleship is ultimately shaped by our desires, this leads to a profound misunderstanding about what it means to follow Jesus versus Jesus following us. Our wants cannot be the only feature of our discipleship. What marks the difference between costly discipleship from cheap grace is that in the end it is God's voice, not our preferences that have final say. Right? This is what it means to say, Jesus, you are Lord in this place and in my life. And I guess as I reflect on this Palm Sunday, I just wonder if God is inviting us to step out of this fundamentally individual and consumer-based way of deciding into a more God-centered way of leaning into this next season. Right? One way you can approach these decisions is, I like it inside, or I like it online, or I like it in person, or I like it this way. Another way is to say, God, what is your invitation to me? God, what is your invitation to my family in this crazy, crazy season? Jesus, I want to follow you. What are you saying? And in that way, what we're allowing is the voice of God to shape our discipleship, not simply our preferences. And surely, God, in the midst of us voicing our preferences, couldn't have a dialogue. Totally fair. But are we giving God a chance to speak? Right, that's, that's sort of addressing the consumerism side. But what about individualism? How is individualism also shaping us in this season? Right, when, Jesus, you know, when Jesus formed or invited the disciples, he didn't meet them individually, one-on-one -on -one in a coffee shop. He formed them into a community. He did life with them. Right, and this community eventually became the church, and this church was eventually sent as a community into the world. Because the truth is, right, we don't get to clarity alone. We don't get to transformation alone. We don't get to the kingdom alone. It happens in community. And I guess my question to us in this season, a season that has forced us into this fundamentally individualistic paradigm, 
is our life woven into the fabric of Jesus' community? Or are we just doing our own thing? And while the goal, I think we should say explicitly, the goal is in-person, embodied togetherness, we're in a weird transitional season, so there has to be ways of participating. Totally get that. Endorse it. Support it. Fully into that. So there's lots of ways to lean into community and away from individualism. Phone calls, Zoom, backyard visits, regular Sunday attendance, whether it's online or in person. There's lots of ways to do this. But are we? Is our life, is your life, is my life, shaped by a communal vision of the kingdom or sort of an individualistic brand of consumerism and self-reliance? As we enter this week, I think it's just really important for us to consider how 2020 has formed us, shaped our assumptions. I think in some good ways and not so helpful ways. I, like, who hasn't, you know, over the last, I don't know, 10 months, walked down the street, just doing your thing, walking the dog, whatever, and then someone comes at you and you're like, well, I better get 10 feet away. Right? No one did that in 2019, guaranteed. Or in 2020, one of the real cool things, for me at least, is every, every day right before dinner, I do PE with my kids. And I just, I got way more time with them. And the truth is, because of the pandemic, I started to spend more time with them. And as I come out of the pandemic, I want to keep doing that. Not every change and habit we formed this last year is bad. Some are awesome. For me, I don't think I'll ever be able to go back to not spending as much time as I have with my kids. what I want us to do this week, if you're up for it, is identify what are, what are one or two things over the last year that you have stopped doing because of the pandemic? Just write a list. Two, three, whatever it is. Ten, I don't know. And then write a list of one, two, three, five things that you started doing in the pandemic. What are a couple things you stopped doing what are a couple things you started doing? Make a list. Set aside a half an hour. Go for a walk with Jesus. Find a quiet space and just say, all right, Lord, I stopped doing these things. Should I have? I started doing these things. Am I doing them because you've invited me to it? Or because just in the crazy of this year, we stopped and started doing things just because we were forced into it. I think so many of us on this last year started and stopped doing things because we felt like we had no other choice. The point is, though, we do have a choice now. What would it look like for our discipleship to be more fully aligned with the voice of Jesus? The invitation of Jesus, and not simply just our preferences, not simply the misunderstandings we carry into our spiritual life, or the cultural assumptions that we embody and carry as we go. 
My friends, this is Palm Sunday. We show up today, and we show up because we want to worship Jesus. We have profound insight. My invitation is can we explore the potential misunderstandings that are shaping the way we practice the way of Jesus so that as we get to Easter, we can gather and celebrate and witness all the awesome ways that God has drawn us nearer to himself. All the ways that he is like a chiropractor gotten us back into alignment. I want to invite the worship team up. We're just going to do one more song. And as they come up, I just invite you to adopt a posture that feels receptive. That feels like you can center yourself a little bit. That feels like you can anchor yourself into Jesus in his presence. I just want to take a moment just to pray for us. So if you're in your home or in this space, I just invite you to get into a posture sort of even trigger your brain, like, all right, I'm re-engaging, you know? We always have drift in a sermon. Let's recenter our focus, our minds on the person of Jesus. God, we ask for you to speak to us. We ask for you to point out the blind spots. God, we don't want to walk around with a huge log in our eye thinking we got it all together. Speak to us, Jesus. God, we want to worship you. And God, we want to worship you in spirit and in truth. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us, you would shape us. God, help us to see clearly ourselves the habits we've formed in this last year that have deformed us. God, help us to see the habits that we've formed in this last year that have actually brought us nearer to being in your likeness. God, give us wisdom and discernment as we enter this week that we might worship you rightly and truly with clarity and discernment. Come, Lord. Let's worship him.